Merry Christmas, everybody. So glad that you've chosen to be with us here today, whether you are new on campus or you're new online, we're actually ending a Christmas series we've been in together over the past few weeks called Unusual Gifts. And as we begin this message today, I have to give you this disclaimer that today's Christmas message is going to be unusual. Anybody ready for an unusual Christmas message? Okay, so it fits in the context of this series that we've been doing. We're not going to spend much time reading the, the typical Christmas passages. We're going to spend some time in 1 Timothy. We're going to spend some time in Philippians chapter 2. And if you know anything about those passages or you don't know anything about those passages, those passages aren't Christmas story related. They don't tell us about the Christmas story, but they definitely enhance what we're going to learn today about the Christmas story. So that's where we're going to be today. And uh, as we continue, I know that we've all at some point in our lives, we have all received an unusual Christmas gift or an unusual birthday gift. Anybody ever received something that you thought, what was this for? That was weird. Now, I'm not talking about like that dirty Santa thing that, you know, that you'll probably do this Christmas or white elephant gift thing. But at some point in our lives, we've all received an unusual gift. Jesus received some unusual gifts. And so I'd like to start today by hearing from some of you and some of the gifts that you have received that you thought were unusual. And if you're watching online, feel free to participate by commenting in the chat section. So what are some of the unusual gifts that you've received, and please keep it G-rated because this is a Christmas service <laughs> and it's church. Okay, who'd like to participate first? A light that goes in the toilet. A light that goes in the toilet. <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure uh, the purpose of that one or even how to ask a follow-up question about it, so... Okay, great. So there you go. Last minute gift ideas if you need one. There's one right there. Thank you, Barbara. Anybody else? What unusual gift did you get? That's hard to top right there. And everybody else is a little shy now. Where, what was that? An APAC bar of soap, um, two for one from your mother-in-law. Talk about a gift right there. That, that is a true gift. Um, mother-in-laws, thank you for being frugal. And that was probably a BOGO deal at Publix or, or somewhere else. Um, anybody else, unusual gift that you've received? Okay, so since you're not going to participate, I'll share some of mine. So I always thought as a kid that clothes were pretty unusual to get. Anybody else like not excited about clothes when you were a kid? Uh, my, my son was not excited. I've got three daughters and one son. My daughters, like they were pretty cool with clothes that they were given, you know, by their mom on, on Christmas. Uh, but my son is like, mom, come on. Like, that's terrible. I felt that way. He, he feels that way. And my grandson even feels that way. So my little uh, grandson, Maverick, three years old, just celebrated his birthday in October. And my wife got him this little outfit and it had one of his favorite characters on it with, you know, this really cute little outfit. She thought he would love it. He pulls it out of the bag, pitches it. And he's like digging in the bag, like, grandma, where's the toy? Like, it can't just be a, a shirt because that's useless. So we all receive some unusual gifts occasionally in our lives. And the, the reality is 
Jesus received some very unusual gifts in honor of his birth. Actually, Mary and Joseph received those on his behalf. Um, But Matthew chapter 2 tells us that some wise men came from eastern lands to give Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So try to put yourself in the spot of Mary and Joseph. They were not wealthy. Uh, They they couldn't even find a place to to give birth uh, to Jesus where they would typically try to find. And so again, they ended up in a, a stable. And imagine... They, they, they one day have this entourage of these wealthy people coming to give these gifts. And I imagine that as they received the gold, they were probably confused and pretty excited. Wouldn't that be amazing at the birth of your child, somebody shows up to give you uh, some gold? That would be pretty great. If you're having a baby, put that on a gift registry. I think that would be, be very appropriate. But then the frankincense and myrrh, I'm sure Mary and Joseph looked at each other and had private conversations and said, what do we do with these things? They were very rare. They were very expensive. But the wise men didn't even give gift receipts, so they couldn't take them back. You know, so like, what do we do with this? The frankincense was very symbolic. And Brian helped us understand two weeks ago that it represents Jesus' role as our high priest. Then he went on to explain what high priests did in the Old Testament, what they did in the New Testament, and they would stand before God on behalf of his people. They would make sacrifices, and they would ask God for mercy and forgiveness. And Hebrews tells us that that's the role that Jesus has for us today. Jesus is our high priest. Guess what he does every day? Every day he asks his heavenly father for mercy and grace and forgiveness for us. And the cool thing is, with God the Father, those things are not hard for him to give us. Uh, He pours those out abundantly for us and because of what Jesus has done for us. So that's what the frankincense represents. And then the myrrh. The myrrh was very weird. Again, another very expensive, very rare gift, but myrrh was used in embalming people after they died. So if you can understand this context, like somebody that you know has a a baby and they send out announcements and you show up with a coffin, (laughs) it would kind of fit the context. So it'd be one of those things that everybody's looking at you like, really, you brought that? That is the weirdest thing ever. But that myrrh represented the fact that Jesus would one day die, he would come and die in our place so that we could have eternal life. And so it was a foreshadowing of that. And again, uh, very symbolic. Now, when it comes to the gold, I think we all understand the value of gold. We know that gold is, is rare. That gold is, is valuable. Even in Jesus' day, it was an extremely valuable uh, commodity, one of the most precious, rare uh, gifts in the world. And uh, if you are wondering if this is real gold, you know the answer already, right? Like, not real gold. Um, But in Jesus' day, gold was thought to be the best gift for a king. Like, what else do you get a king? The king probably has everything. Will you get him some gold? Uh, That would be the most appropriate gift to give a king. Church tradition teaches that Jesus was given gold in honor of his kingship, that he would be king of all kings 
and Lord of all lords. So listen to what the Apostle Paul said about that in 1 Timothy. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, for at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God. Now, this half a sentence here tells us some powerful things about Jesus. It says that Jesus will be revealed from heaven. So one day, I think in the near future, Jesus will will be revealed to everyone. No one will wonder, you know, does Jesus uh, really exist? Was like he a real being or did just religious leaders make him up to kind of keep the rest of us in line? Like, no, nobody will wonder that. Everyone will see Jesus with their own eyes and know who he really is. When will this happen? At just the right time. Now, I love how God works. God always works at just the right time. And uh, in my life, I often get frustrated with God because he doesn't work on my time. I want him to work on my time. But when does God work in our lives? At just the right time. There are some of us who are wondering, as we look around the world right now and we watch all the chaos, we're wondering, why hasn't God the Father sent Jesus back to earth? Like, it seems like it's the perfect time. Anybody else wonder that besides me? Why hasn't it happened? Because it's not the right time yet. God only works at just the right time. He only works at just the right time globally and then individually. So individually in our lives, there may be moments we're frustrated with God because we feel like he's not revealing what he's doing. We're not sure what he's doing behind the scenes. We want him to work more. We want him to work now. We want him to work yesterday. And we got to trust in him because God only works at just the right time. God will reveal what he's doing in your life at just the right time. He will do that thing that he's promised to do in your life when he decides it's the perfect time for that thing to happen. What do we do when we're waiting? We trust him. We know that God is good. We know that God is working to do something great for us at just the right time. So at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven And it says how he will be revealed. It says he will be revealed as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So I love how Paul frames that. So he didn't say that Jesus will be revealed as a king among kings. No, he says he will be revealed as the king of all kings and Lord of all lords. And Philippians chapter two tells us how we will all respond when Jesus is revealed as king. So listen to verse nine. Verse nine says, therefore, God elevated him, meaning Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So one day, When Jesus is revealed as king of all kings, each and every person will bend their knee and will acknowledge who Jesus really is, that he's king of all kings, Lord of all lords. That means people who have received Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior will make that decision. And then people who've rejected Jesus as their Lord and Savior, will do the exact same thing. We'll all do the same thing. It's going to be one amazing experience, don't you think? 
to watch every person who has ever lived or who will ever live up until that point bow before Jesus as king and acknowledge him as Lord. And if you're thinking like, man, I don't want to miss that, guess what? You won't. You'll be there. You'll be there with Mary and Joseph. You'll be there with the wise men. You'll be there with Abraham. You'll be there with Moses. You'll be there with your family. You'll be there with friends. You'll be there with millions of others that you don't know, and we will all have the exact same response. We will acknowledge Jesus as Lord and King of all. Now, this King, this King Jesus is like no other king our world has ever seen. And I want you to pay close attention to what we're going to read next in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, because it describes this King Jesus, and we will be in awe of him. And if you aren't a Christ follower, pay attention, because we often have this weird perception of what kings might be like, but King Jesus is very different. He's like no other king. So verse six begins by explaining, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. I'm going to stop there for just a second. Um, Do we have any royalty in the house today? Anybody of royal blood? Anybody? I don't see, I see, you know, if you're, uh, uh, Debbie's um, pulling from scripture that says that we are a royal priesthood. So yes, if you're a Christ follower, you get to raise your hand, but put your hand down because that's not the question I'm asking. So I'm asking, uh, do you have like, you know, human royalty in you? Anybody? I I don't don't see anybody. Um, If you were royalty, would you give that up? I wouldn't. Uh, if, If you were royalty, would you give up your divine privileges as a royal person, all the perks that come with that? I wouldn't. But Jesus did. Jesus gave up his divine privileges on our behalf. There was not one ounce of arrogance in him. Jesus easily could have come to planet Earth and said to all of us, bow down and worship me because I am king. I'm King Jesus and I'm here to rule over you. He could have done that, but he didn't. What did he do instead? He got on his knees. He washed his disciples' feet. What king does that? King Jesus did that. Verse 7 says, um, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. He took the humble position of a slave. Not a servant, but a slave. So what king do you know of in history that stepped away from his throne and said, I'm going to give up my throne, and I'm going to become a slave. Anybody know a king that's ever done that? I don't. King Jesus did that. And then this next concept from this verse really blows my mind. He was born as a human being. Imagine God being a baby. Like if that doesn't like blow the circuits in your brain, I don't know what else will. Like I have a hard time grasping that one. God became flesh. Scripture says that Jesus was the creator of everything, that Jesus actually was the one out of the the Trinity, the Godhead, that was active in creation. All three were active in creation, but scripture specifically points out Jesus as the creator of all things. So Jesus, the creator of all things, became one of his creations. 
He became one of his creations. He put himself in the care of his own creation who couldn't care for themselves. Who did they turn to when they needed help? They turned to God. So God became flesh, put himself in the care of his own creation. So when the creator of the universe was hungry, he relied on his mom to feed him. When the king of all kings needed to sleep, he relied on his earthly parents who could only provide him a feeding trough, possibly with some hay in it. We know he was wrapped in strips of cloth. That's all they could provide, King Jesus. When the Lord of all lords needed a diaper change, who did he turn to? You know he turned to his mom because his earthly father was nowhere to be found, right? Right, dads? Like, you know that. Like, when my kids needed a diaper change, I was all of a sudden out in the garage working on something. I let my, let my wife handle that one. So King Jesus took a humble position and allowed himself to be born as one of his creations. Anybody remember where Jesus was born? Bethlehem. Anybody know much about Bethlehem? It's a tiny little know-nothing community. Uh, there, there's um, not much to it. I mean, it is expanded today because of the commercialism of uh, where they believe Jesus was born. And I've uh, been to that spot, been to several spots where they believe Jesus was born. Um, but it started as this little community that had nothing to it, like no name, no claim uh, to fame. And where in Bethlehem was Jesus born? In a stable. King Jesus was born in a stable. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born in uh, the finest children's hospital that the world had to offer. Like what king would be born in an environment like that? So imagine the sights and the smells and the sounds where Jesus was born. Like we could never imagine another king being born there. But King Jesus was born in that place. King Jesus is incredibly humble, he gave up his divine privileges. He put himself in the care of his own creation. And verse 7 continues and said that when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. What other king would you know that would step off of his throne, take the position of one of the subjects in his kingdom who was a criminal, take their place, and die so they can live? Anybody know any other king that's done that? I don't. But King Jesus did that. That's why I think Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says, therefore. Or because Jesus humbled himself, or because Jesus gave up his divine privileges, because Jesus allowed himself to be born as a human being, because Jesus willingly died to pay for the sins of the people he created, because Jesus was obedient to his heavenly father, because of all that. God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This will be our physical response on the day Jesus is revealed. Whether you've accepted Jesus as your savior or not, this will be our physical response. And so I wonder today, do you know Jesus as your king? Is he your king? Or do you just know a lot about him? It's one thing to know a lot about someone. 
And in today's world, we know a lot about royalty, right? Like some of us read up about royalty around the world, but we may not know royalty personally. The amazing thing about King Jesus is we can know him personally. And so I wonder if you know him personally. The reason that is so incredibly important is because on the day that King Jesus is revealed, he will either be your eternal king or he'll be your eternal judge. We'll all bow before him and acknowledge him as King Jesus. But if we have rejected Jesus in our lifetime on earth, if we said, no thanks, Jesus, I don't need you for all of eternity, then he will have nothing left but to grant us what we've asked for. And we'll be sentenced to an eternity apart from him. King Jesus can't stand the thought of that. That's why he did everything that he did. That's why he gave up his divine privileges. That's why he humbled himself to be born a human being. That's why he lived a perfect life in full obedience to his father. That's why he sacrificed his life on our behalf so that we could live forever. And he wants nothing more than for us to open the door of our heart and invite him in. Listen to what Jesus says in Revelations 3.20. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So I think Jesus today is standing at the door of some of your hearts and he's knocking and he's waiting patiently for you to open your heart and invite him in to be your personal Lord and savior. And if you've never made that decision before today, I hope that you will. I'm gonna actually guide you through how you can do that in, in just a few minutes. But think about this, like what king wants to know his subjects personally? What king wants a personal relationship with each of us? Uh, one where he comes over to your house and wants to eat a meal with you. I don't know any king that wants that other than King Jesus. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. It's the kind of king Jesus wants to be for all of us. Now we're gonna transition here. I'll come back to this concept in just a minute, but we're gonna transition. I'm gonna tell you about communion. We're gonna celebrate communion together. And communion is a very special time and Christmas is a special time to celebrate it. And um, you need to know that, that Christmas and Easter can never be separated. Like they're bookends to each other. That's why we celebrate Christ's death even as we're celebrating his birth. And if you are new to us here at Epic, uh, we believe that anybody who's put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior should be able and should be invited to celebrate communion. So if you've uh, made Jesus the Lord of your life, then we hope that you'll celebrate communion with us today. We've got six different stations set up. We've got two tables up front. We've got four tables in the back. So we've got these little baskets and they've got the communion elements in them. And I need to explain these elements, especially if you're new. If you're not new, like you get it, you know the routine. But if you're new, let me explain it because it's a little dark in here and you might just end up saying a few curse words during a Christmas service <laughs> and you know, you'll feel bad about that. So, all right, so we've got two communion cups that you might find. So as you come up, you might find this first one. It actually has two lids, one on the top, one on the bottom, which is the top, which is the bottom. I'll let you decide. I don't know. So I encourage you to find the lid that leads to the wafer. 
That's the smaller side of the cup. So find that first, and then you peel that off. And that wafer represents Christ's body, which was broken for you. Then after that, flip that over and peel the top off, and you'll find the juice. That juice represents Christ's blood, which was poured out for you. It actually is like ink that he used to write his signature, a covenant relationship, a covenant promise that God the Father gives to all of us was written in Christ's blood. So then you peel off um, that lid and you can take communion during our communion song. Now for the other lid, this is a little more complex. This little cup has two lids on the same side. There is a thin lid that's a little bit hard to find in the dark, but you want to find that one first because it reveals the wafer. If you don't find the wafer first, you'll probably never find the wafer, okay? So just warning you. So go for the wafer first, and then there's a thicker lid that you'll peel off that will reveal the juice. The way that we'll engage this is when our worship team comes out after I read a passage out of 1 Corinthians, they're going to guide us through a closing song. And while we're engaging that together, you'll be free to get up from your seats and move to one of these stations. As you come up, get the communion elements, and then you can go ahead and sit back down if you want to. You can step off to the side and just thank God for being your king. If you have a relationship with him, thank him for being your king. If you don't have a relationship with him, if he's not your king, I encourage you to make that decision today. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart. He's knocking. He's waiting. Today could be the day that you open the door. The way that you open the door is you say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you came and died so I can have eternal life. And I ask you to be my Lord, be my savior, and be my king. If you make that decision today, when Jesus is revealed, he'll be revealed as your eternal king. And he'll welcome you into his eternal kingdom. So I encourage you to make that decision today. Now, let me just speak briefly to those who are watching online. So if you're watching online, you might think, man, I would love to participate in communion, but like, I'm not there. I don't know that I can do that. And I just want to say to you, it's very possible for you still to participate in communion, especially if you're at home. At home, it'll be a little bit easier. If you've got some juice close by or you've got some bread or some crackers, I encourage you to grab that and prepare yourself for communion as we take communion here. Now, the reason I say that is, is because there are moments that, that people push back a little bit on that and say, like, I don't I don't know that that's okay. I don't know that God is okay with me celebrating communion if I'm not at church or if I'm not engaging the church uh, sanctioned communion elements. I got to tell you, I don't see that in scripture. What I think God cares about from scripture and what I know of God's heart that I've learned from scripture is that God cares about us understanding what communion means. Communion is very symbolic. Symbolic of the sacrifice Jesus has paid for us. So I think when we understand that, we've got a lot of freedom as far as how and where we celebrate communion. I think we can celebrate communion by ourselves. And if you're watching online, maybe you can do that today at home or watching with your family, you can do that there. I celebrate communion every Christmas with my family at home. I think you can celebrate in your small group. I think there's a lot of contexts where we can celebrate communion. And I know there's faith systems that push back against that, but I don't see in scripture where God prevents that. I think we've got a lot of freedom. I think we should engage that as we can. And again, if that's appropriate to you at home, I encourage you to engage that. Before we celebrate communion, 
I'm gonna read two closing passages. One talks about Christ's first coming, and the other one talks about Christ's second coming. So the first passage comes from Matthew chapter two, and it talks about the day that the wise men came to uh, Jerusalem, and they were trying to find King Jesus. They had a conversation with the, the king of the area at that time that was King Herod. And verse nine says this, it says, after this interview or this conversation with King Herod, the wise men went their way and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh. So those wise men gave Jesus some of the most valuable commodities that were available at that time. And the interesting thing today is that, you know, the most valuable thing we can ever give God is our hearts. Most valuable thing we can give God is our lives lived in honor of what he has done for us. And so again, if, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never given him your heart today, it'd be a great day to do that. If you're not living in a way that you need to, if you haven't been honoring God with your life, today would be a great day to acknowledge that and do some course correction in your life. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about Christ's second coming. Verse 23 says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces, said, this is my body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Every time we celebrate communion, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming again. Anybody looking forward to that day? Anybody excited that one day Jesus is coming back? I think Jesus could be coming back soon. We need to be ready for that. If you're not ready for that, I hope you'll get ready for that. And the way that we get ready is, number one, by giving him our hearts. And number two is living our lives in honor of him, knowing we have much work to do before he gets back. There are many people around us who desperately need to understand the kind of king that he is and put their faith and trust in him as their Lord and Savior. And God has placed us, us around them for that task, to tell them about King Jesus, that he's like no other king, and to help them put their faith and trust in him. So this Christmas, what I hope that we'll do is we'll celebrate King Jesus and we'll reflect on our lives and what it means to be ready when King Jesus comes back. As just a reminder, next Sunday, we're not having our services, no typical services at the end of the year. We've had that tradition since the beginning of our church over the uh, past 12 years. We've taken the last Sunday off of the year. And if you are confused and you are wondering, like, what in the world am I going to do on a Sunday morning if I don't have church to go to, let me give you a few ideas. So you could spend some time with your family or spend some time with some friends. Uh, go out for uh, maybe a late breakfast and just enjoy your fellowship together. 
You could go cheer on another one of the great churches in our community and let them know that, that we are for them and so excited about what God is doing in them and through them. For some of you, the most spiritual thing that you could do next Sunday morning is sleep in. <laughs> you, know, you know how we're always like so busy and I wish I had a day. Next Sunday, you have a day. You have a day off. Just sleep in. See what God can do as you spend some time resting and reflecting on what it means for Jesus really to be your king. Then on January the 2nd, so two weeks from today, we are going to be back, and we're going to be back in a big way. We're going to start a series called Seek First. And in this series, we're going to spend some time drilling into Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which tells us to seek God and his kingdom above all else, and he'll take care of all the other needs that we have in our lives. So we're going to start the year by learning together what it means to seek God. We're actually going to talk about the fast that we do every new year. We start the new year with a fast. So we'll do a two-week fast this year again, and uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how to be prepared for that. And so I hope that you'll come back and be a part of that. I hope that you'll invite somebody to join us online if you're watching online as well. So Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope you have an amazing Christmas season and hope you really reflect on Jesus and what it means for him to be your king. And we're going to pray together, and our worship team is going to guide us uh, through our communion time. But as we pray, I'm going to talk to several different groups of people. So if you wouldn't mind, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and, and pray together. As we begin, I'm curious to know if there's anybody here or anybody watching online willing to say, you know, I, I've put my faith in Jesus. I have Jesus as my king. And yet, I haven't really been living in honor of him as king. Maybe there's an area of your life that you haven't let Jesus be king and ruler over. And maybe today you're willing to say, you know what? I need to address that in my life. I need to give that over to, to King Jesus. Let him take control over that area. So if there's anybody in that spot, would you just be bold enough to raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody in that spot? Okay, I see hands. Thank you for that boldness. So God, the reality for all of us is that we all have areas of our lives where we struggle to let you be Lord over, let you be king over. So Lord, I pray for these people who've raised their hands, and I pray for all of us in those moments when we're struggling with that, Lord, that, that we would surrender that area of our lives to you, knowing that you always have the best plan for us. You always will do amazing things in us and through us when we surrender to your lordship, surrender to your rule and reign over us. So may we surrender that area today. As we continue to pray, I'm curious to know if there's anybody here willing to say, you know what, I've never asked Jesus to be my king. Maybe I've known a lot about him. Maybe I've just learned some things today that I've never heard before. And today I know is the day that I want to make him my king. I want him to be my Lord and my savior. If there's anybody here or anybody online, would you just raise your hand real quick so I can see that? Just hold your hand up for just a second. All right, well, I don't see any hands. I do see one. I see one hand here. Thank you for that. We had somebody in the first service raise their hand as well. 
And let me just tell you what you do in those moments when we're willing to say, God, I hear you knocking at the door. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Again, I encourage you to answer that door. I encourage you to invite Jesus in and say, Jesus, I recognize you as king. I realize that you came to to die so I can have eternal life. And I ask you to be my Lord, my savior, and my eternal king. When you make that decision, Jesus will step into your life and he will truly be your king and he will guide you in how to live a life that honors him. So God, I thank you, Jesus, for leaving the splendor of heaven. You didn't have to, but you did it for us. You you did it so that we could have eternal life. And Jesus, like you came to earth in the most unusual way. You came as a baby. You lived a perfect life. And then you died so that we could live. So Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for sacrificing. Thank you for dying. Thank you for your resurrection. And thank you for your promise that you will come again one day. And we know that as you come again, you will be revealed as king of all kings and lord of all lords. Lord, we celebrate that today as we celebrate communion. And Lord, may we be ready for that day. May we be eagerly looking for that day. And may we be busy helping other people get ready for that day that you will be revealed as king of all. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. You are now free to get up from your seats, move to one of our tables, and celebrate communion.